Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is my podcast. It's called Other Life because it's where I talk about all the things I don't get to talk about in normal life. So if you're into it, you should definitely subscribe. And if you'd like to talk to other people interested in what I'm interested in, or ask me questions or request future topics or guests, please just follow the link in the show notes. Finally, I just want to give a huge thanks to all the donors and patrons. I could not keep this podcast running without financial backers, so I'm very grateful. And I would just say that if you enjoy this podcast or my blog or my videos, please do consider signing up to give a little bit of money each month. It would really help me grow out this project, and it would mean a lot to me. So thanks a lot. Now on to the podcast. Over and out. Can you hear me okay, Katie? Yeah, hi, Justin. Hello, how are you doing today? Good, I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. Can't complain. Uh, I'm going to start recording now, if that's okay with you. Yeah, it's fine. Great. Um, yeah, so basically I saw your viral tweet and was definitely like, what's going on with that? So I um, think it's cool that you're willing to have a discussion with me about it. Um, so I guess to start off, could you tell me a little bit about yourself and what you generally do? Yeah, sure. I'm an academic political scientist. So by profession, I mostly study kind of technical questions about how the political world works, mostly using quantitative data. And I also, I'm a blogger and I like to make shit on the internet um, that has nothing, that has nothing really to do with my professional vocation. Right, for sure. Um, are you, do you tend to tweet like the hot take? Are you a big hot take guy? I don't think of myself as a hot take guy, no, actually. Um, I mean, my blogging is actually pretty long form, uh, very patient, time consuming data analysis and theory, theory writing, really. So most of the stuff that I put on the, on the internet is a part of, you know, pretty long term intellectual goals of mine, I guess you could say. Like, for instance, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I kind of, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, for instance, Katie, like, I don't read the news. Like, I just don't read it all. Like, I don't know what's going on in the world on a day to day basis. I don't really know what people are talking about on a day to day basis. I just have my own interests and I think and I write shit. Interesting. Why, uh, why don't you keep up with the news? Well, I guess I think it's mostly noise. I mean, on a day-to-day basis, you know, 90% of everything that comes out is just people bullshitting and trying to, you know, whatever, get paid or get attention or whatever, which is fine. Uh, But if you're actually trying to follow true things that are truly happening, it makes sense to sort of read what, what people wrote like a month or two afterwards. So I read like reviews about what happened, you know, over the past three months, every now and then I'll, I'll do that kind of checking in on events, but I don't read the day-to-day streams because it's almost all noise. Interesting. How long um, have you sort of been unplugged from the news cycle, so to speak? Uh, that's a good question. I probably gave up on news about, oh gosh, maybe as long as like five years ago. Interesting. Okay. So part of that, were you like, uh, like news junkie or just like sort of normal amount of news? (laughs) Yeah, pretty normal probably for my education and age. I would say probably pretty average. I mean, part of the problem is that I'm actually not that intelligent relative to other academics in in my peer group. Uh So I just don't have... I don't have the computational power to do the kind of hard intellectual work that I do for a living and also like read a lot of news articles on a daily basis. I just don't have the mental uh, energy and capacity to do that. Some people can, but I can't. Interesting. Um, I guess, could you tell me a little bit more about yourself, like age-wise? Um, what, uh, I'm curious about what brings you to the UK as well, because you sound American. I could be wrong, obviously, but... Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, sure. I. Yeah, sure. I'm uh, 31 years old. 
I was born and raised in the United States, lived there all my life. I just moved to the UK to take up the job as an academic. I, when I finished my PhD in Philadelphia, I got a job offer that was based in the UK and I jumped on it. And that was five years ago. So I've been living and chilling in the UK for five years now. Cool. Very cool. Um, what, what are sort of, you would say, your areas of interest? Because you said that you those primarily exist outside of the news cycle. So I'm just kind of curious. I did... Um, yeah, sure. Uh, well, I'm interested in revolutionary politics, really. I think that all currently existing institutions are total bullshit. And I think that we're living through a what you might call a semiotic apocalypse, a kind of absolute collapse of meaning and values and tastes. And the way that people use words has become completely unhinged from any kind of shared objective reality. So the so modern society is rapidly disintegrating into absolute intellectual chaos. I think all currently existing institutions are uh, basically deceptive and oppressive for all of the people laboring and living under them. And I'm interested in how the intellectual life is a is a, a way for human beings to try to figure shit out uh, in a really serious and radical way. And so to me, that means uh, thinking about things that maybe other people find uh, crazy or ridiculous or silly. Um, and that's why I'm I, I'm very interested in all kinds of weird social and ethical questions. Because I think if we're going to have any chance at figuring out the total shit show that we're in, it's going to be from people who are willing to basically just ask crazy questions and answer them as honestly as possible. Sure. Okay. Um, that is cool. That kind of brings us to the primary reason that we're talking right now. Um, and kind of, yeah, that, that, that's good context. Thank you. I appreciate that. Sure. Um, so uh, I guess I am just sort of wondering how initially uh, you drew the parallel between necrophilia and abortion, because obviously it's face value kind of nuts, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I would just kind of like to hear your thought process. If you would sure. Well, I have a friend on Twitter who is queer. She's a trans woman, and she's also interested in radical theoretical political ideas. And she thinks and writes a lot of interesting stuff from her perspective. And a few days ago, she was going on about necrophilia. And I actually don't know if she was being literal or just kind of being playful and, and provoking, but she was basically referring to her interest in necrophilia and kind of making fun of uh, people who are not down with her interest in necrophilia. And that just was the impetus for it. It made me think about how, huh, you know, you could actually justify necrophilia on grounds of queer politics uh, or even a more mainstream feminist politics. Go on. <laughs> Well, could you could you explain the flesh those grounds out a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, sure. So. <laughs> If you support a woman's right to choose what she does with her body, then there's no reason why you wouldn't support a woman's right to choose that she wants a cold, hard piece of a inanimate dead body inside of her body. If you want to tell a woman that she can't have sex with a dead corpse, that seems like you're telling her what she's allowed to do with her own body. And I think if you support a woman's right to choose what she does with her body, you're going to be inclined to support her rights to necrophilic enjoyment. What do you okay. think? What do you what do, what do you think about that, Katie? What do I think about that? Um, I think that equating, I think um, something that gives me pause and probably gives a lot of people pause about that parallel 
is that we don't really, like, support a woman's right to, like, steal a car with her body, you know? Like, you can't really right. just do crime. Right. And, yeah, and that makes sense. And then, I guess, especially with the parallel of abortion, abortion is obviously not a sex act, whereas necrophilia is. So that is definitely, um, I don't know <laughs> if uh, your friend who, I guess, initially brought it to your attention with term, anybody who thinks that approved or whatever. Right. So that's kind of fine with me. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, I would say that when uh, feminists are talking about a woman's right to choose, they're not talking about a woman's right to choose how she's like acting upon the world like if she wants to place her body in a car or something you Mm -hmm. know what I mean sure yeah okay that's fair enough um do you do you actually like is this is this your real is this a real thing that you think or is this just kind of like a thought experiment that you find interesting to sort of like Oh, I don't actually have very strong viewpoints about abortion or necrophilia, to be perfectly honest. I'm kind of unsure what I ultimately think about both of them, in part because of this tension. So I guess my response would be your latter option, which is this just strikes me as a one of many, you know, fascinating and difficult tensions that we find in other viewpoints that we often find very obvious. You know, it often turns out that certain widely held beliefs that seem obvious to a large number of people when you actually kind of break down their implications they're not at all obvious okay um i I think another (laughs) i know this is just whatever um so nobody needs to have sex with a corpse for medical reasons but there is sometimes the medical necessity for an abortion right so yeah Go on. Oh, no, well, I mean, that, that's about it. There are, there's medical justification for the existence of abortion, but, like, yeah. no one's going to die because they don't get to have sex with a dead body. So that is, on the face of it, a very reasonable and plausible thought. And I thought a little bit about that because that was something that I heard from a few people on Twitter. And... First of all, I would say in many cases, that's perfectly appropriate. So I think if a woman is in, uh, you know, vital danger, especially in cases where the uh, sexual activity leading to the pregnancy uh, was not up to her, for instance, in cases of rape, especially, I think. um, So basically, in in cases of rape and in cases of uh, really vital, urgent, fatal risk from pregnancy complications, I think that that does raise unique situations in which a woman might choose to abort in a way that uh, could potentially be justified, separable from how we might think about, you know, the analogy to necrophilia. I think that in the larger classes of, you know, in, in the in the larger class of cases where abortion, you know, could be justified on grounds that even a normal pregnancy is highly demanding on women, and it does present risks to women, no doubt. The difficult thing about that justification or exception to my analogy is that it it's... You could actually imagine cases in which necrophilia could be justified on the same grounds, I think, actually. Because the problem is, how much of a risk does there have to be to a woman? How much of a medical risk does there have to be for it to be justified for her to act on, you know, uh, something that we consider sacred, but not alive? So, do you see what I mean? Could you tell me about a parallel scenario that you could imagine where someone's need to have sex with a dead body is equivalent to a woman's medical need to get abortion. Mm, 
Yeah, let me think. Well, it all depends on how severe you see the risks of pregnancy. So, like, one could argue, for instance, that the claim that a woman is justified in abortion because of the medical risks, one could argue that that justification itself is based on very, very slight and convenient definition of what counts as risk. So, for instance, you know, and by the way, I'm still completely in all of this. I'm just in thought experiment mode. Uh, I, I'm actually being straight with you when I say I don't act have very firm positions on either of these things. Um, but, you know, yeah, yeah, for, sure. for instance, conservatives say that, uh, you know, in a Western society such as the United States or the UK, most women who become pregnant have very good chances of uh, bringing that child to term with no real serious or problematic um, health problems. So, of course, there are risks. But it kind of matters how much you, uh, you know, uh, how big you estimate those risks to be. Because, you know, you can imagine cases where someone says, um, you know, let's see, like, maybe you're a, well, no, I don't want to, I don't want to, I actually don't want to go down that all, all because it'll just be ridiculous. But, um, yeah, so my point being that, like, you could, so long as people are able to point to anything, any, any magnitude of risks, as as a risk that justifies doing it you know you could imagine any number of crazy people saying they have a right to fuck a dead body because if they don't then some x y or z risk is going to happen to them i mean you can easily imagine people making those claims um and what could they what could they claim would happen to them if they didn't have sex with a dead body um, emotional, severe emotional distress, maybe. Like, maybe you, you know, look, if we separate, um, two people who love each other, let's say two people in a family, if we forcibly separate them by, you know, state power or something like that, people regularly see that as a violation of human rights. Um, that's, it's easy to see that that's like a, a, a fundamental breach of, of people's important rights or something like that. Maybe if you have a very deep sexual or romantic attraction to a corpse and you're not allowed to have union with it, you could very well argue that it's inflicting emotional pain and suffering on you that is equivalent to, you know, some married couple not being allowed to be together or something like that. Like, for instance, you know, when it, when uh, gay people were not allowed to get married, for instance, I think a lot of people made very reasonable arguments that that's inhumane, that's fucked up, because some people are gay who deeply love each other, and they should be allowed to enjoy their life together. To not let them do that is a serious violation of their rights and an abuse on them. I think necrophilic people could very well say the same thing about not being able to have communion with dead bodies. But doesn't that endow the dead body with more humanity than the abortion argument really allows for? If you're going to talk about it in terms of feminism or even like queer politics, which I'm definitely not as well versed in. I'm not sure I follow what you mean. Like if you're saying that the corpse is not like alive, it doesn't count as a real person, then I don't really think you can also draw parallels between the act of having sex with a corpse and having gay sex. Yeah, that's a good point. I can see that. And uh, out of curiosity, where I, I read in your Twitter bio, but I guess just if you could elaborate a little bit more where you personally would say that you fall on the political spectrum. I'm just curious. I mean... I think that's really hard to answer nowadays. I think that <laughs> okay. I think that what the word left wing means and what the word right wing means today 
is more unstable and unclear than it's ever been in any of our memories. And, you know, when I look around at all of the people who call themselves leftists and all the people who call themselves right-wing, it's very hard for me to know where I would place myself amidst all of these different people. So that's one of the reasons why I think, and I'm not, I'm honestly not dodging your question. I'm like, the reason I'm interested in all of these kind of harebrained intellectual, you know, thought experiments and exercises is precisely because I'm trying to figure out what the fuck left and right even mean today. And I think to, if we're going to have any chance of doing that, you have to kind of try to dig deep into weird uh, ideological tension zones. Sure. Um, okay, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I believe you. Um, let me think. Did you sort of, you, uh, I saw you tweeting a bit about how uh, you've gone viral. Did you expect the sort of magnitude of response that you ended up getting? Uh, well, no, of course not. I mean, it's just a random, uh, pretty uncontroversial tweet, I thought. So, of course, I was surprised that people were so interested in it. <laughs> you, I mean, you never really, I guess unless you're some sort of, like, provocateur, you never really expect that to happen, I don't think. You wouldn't consider yourself a provocateur? No, not at all. So you, <laughs> you didn't think that comparing getting an abortion to necrophilia was going to be a provocative opinion? No. All right, fair enough. Um, did you get any responses that surprised you or sort of made you reconsider your stand? Yes, there were a few, actually. There, not many at all. I mean, um, of, of the of the, uh. of the the massive wall of notifications that I got for like 48 hours, it was almost all just like idiots or whatever. But there were a few that actually made some interesting arguments that I definitely thought about, for sure. Could you tell me about a few of those? Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember. Um, well, it's very, I think the best arguments or counter arguments you can make to my analogy are kind of similar to the one that I think you were kind of on this track before when you were raising your question about, um, the risk that pregnancy brings to women. I think there is something unique there that is important. So I think a few people brought that to my attention in a very intelligent way. And yeah, there, there, there could be something there that invalidates my thought experiment. I'm not, I'm just not positive about it, but it, it, that, that could be correct. Would you consider the conversation that we're having right now to be an intelligent conversation? Well, yes, I would, as a matter of fact. Of course, you know, I've had enough conversations with journalists to know that most likely, or, you know, I, I, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, Katie. You seem like a nice person, so I don't know what your plans are, but, you know, usually when you talk with journalists, you have to kind of, uh, presume that they're already planning some sort of hit piece. So I'm prepared for the likely possibility that you already have a kind of hit piece uh, planned out. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's what you did. Uh, but this, so that would probably, you know, to be perfectly honest, I fear that whatever you write might not be, you know, uh, intelligent, let's say. But this conversation so far uh, has been quite reasonable and intelligent, I would say. So I thank you for that. Yeah. Um, why not do you still talk to journalists if you don't think... They are going to present you in the view would like to be presented. Well, I guess one thing is I just like to talk with people. I find it fun. And I guess the second thing is I don't really mind um, being represented in a poor light. I mean, I don't really, I'm not really sensitive to social stigma that much. Like if you write some article that just kind of makes fun of me and makes me look stupid and crazy or whatever, like that wouldn't really cause me much distress. I would I guess I, I guess I kind of find that interesting and funny thing to uh, be a part of in some way, maybe. For sure. Um, By the yeah, way, Katie, I wanted to clarify something I said before. When I said that, you know, I, I have reasonable expectations that perhaps your, your written article might not be intelligent. 
I should make very clear, I didn't mean that you are not intelligent or that your writing would be bad or anything like that. My point was rather that, you know, paid journalists face incentives that really skew and bias their ability to, you know, write things clearly and effectively and interestingly and honestly. So, like, obviously you're on deadlines, you have to produce a certain amount of articles, and those articles have to get a certain amount of clicks, and that's what you're judged on and evaluated on and, and paid for. That's, like, the game that you're playing as, as a journalist, and I, I totally understand that. That's, like, beyond your control. So my only point is that those forces, I think, put a lot of pressure on journalists to write stupid shit, really. And uh, so it's not a comment on you at all. Hey, man, don't I know it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) I know (laughs) that that is true. Um, Cool. So I guess, do you think treating stuff like (laughs) uh, one could find parallels between necrophilia and abortion, do you think posing questions like that, do you think you're making the world a better place? Do you think you're making the dialogue better? And do you think you are, wrong question, but do you think you're sort of like edging us closer Hmm. out of the apocalypse? I don't really know how to say it, but (laughs) you did mention that there. I certainly don't think that any particular edgy tweet has any effect on the world's course, no. And I don't write any of the things I write, whether they be long-form blog posts or academic articles or short tweets or YouTube videos or whatever. I don't I don't make anything that I make on any kind of stupid idea that some particular cultural product I put into the world is going to, like, change people's minds in a good way or something like that. No, no. I, so I don't think that at all. I don't think that that's... Uh-huh what happens, especially today. I think, you know, the idea of convincing people or, you know, having these sorts of effects uh, has never been a less likely prospect. But what I would say is that I think whenever an individual says exactly what they think, or whenever an individual simply puts out into the world precisely whatever questions they personally find interesting, whenever individuals do that on net in the long run, it's always a good thing for society at large. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, all right, I got a last one, and I do have to ask you this. Uh, would you have sex with a dead body? Hmm. Let me think about this one. Well, Katie, I'm a happily married man, so having sex with a dead body is out of the question for me. Gotcha. That makes sense. All right. Uh, thank you, Justin. This was a lot of fun. Do you have any questions for me? Why, as a matter of fact, yes, I do, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Well, one question is, um, I saw that your Twitter your Twitter bio says uh, perverts only, and I was just kind of curious if that's ironic, or do you actually like have a thing for perverts? Uh, I just kind of think it's funny. Cool. I don't fair, know. fair enough. I was just curious. Yeah. I was just curious. I guess my, I do have one yeah. more. I have I have another question, or actually maybe two, if you don't mind. If you're not in a rush. If yeah, yeah, go for if it. You are, that's fine. Do you find it strange interviewing random people because of one tweet that they wrote? Like, as you reflect on this conversation and, you know, sort of like the workflow that you operate on in the contemporary media environment. Like, do you, does it ever just feel strange? Like, why am I having a long conversation with this one guy because of one random tweet that he wrote? Yeah, I mean, it's something that I do frequently enough that it's sort of, you know, if you do something often enough, it stops feeling strange. But, yeah, it is, um, we don't usually, I, I, I normally would not be interviewing actually a man about one viral tweet. We tend to do it when, like, a girl tweets something viral or whatever. Um, I cool. mean, I guess I, I, in one sense, kind of archiving, like, these cultural moments. But uh, on the other hand, like you were kind of saying earlier, it does feel like noise a lot of the time. Right. But I mean, I'm getting paid. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so. Yep, can't hate on that. Um, I guess I'd be curious to know if you feel like sharing. Obviously, you don't have to if you don't want to. But uh, what is your angle on this interview? What type of article are you planning to write? 
Um, I mean, I think that your opinion is something that would be interesting to a lot of our readers just because it's so outlandish. But to be honest, this was an interesting enough conversation that I probably am just going to do a transcript of it. Um, Not perhaps in its entirety, and I'll make note of that. But I think this has been an interesting talk. So I guess that's a little less takedowny than you were probably envisioning. So cool. Well, that sounds good. I appreciate that. All right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'll let you know. I obviously have to run into my editor. I'm not my own boss. But yeah. Yeah. No, I'll keep you in the loop, and I can shoot it over to you when it is out. All right, Katie. Unless you have any other questions, then this was interesting. Thank you. Yeah. No, dude. I'm good. Uh, have a good rest of the day, Justin. All right, Katie. See you later. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you thought that was cool, then don't forget to subscribe and it would be even cooler if you left a review. I'd appreciate that. And yeah, just to learn more about what I'm up to, you can check out theotherlifenow.com. That's all. And I will see you around the internet.